Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class is sponsored by Ilana H. Katz, dedicated for the occasion of a Sefer Torah being donated in honor of Ilana's kids. What a beautiful thing to do in honor of your children, or in honor of your parents, or in honor of your wife, or in honor of your husband. And as well, um, we mentioned in the Be'er Knesset last uh, couple weeks ago, that if someone wants to make a donation of uh, something to be written, um, the haftaraz that we use here in the shul are the printed ones. So if anyone would like to donate a haftarah that's written on klaf, which we learned in the halakha in the morning, is the more appropriate haftarah to read from. We have one upstairs and one downstairs. If anyone would like to donate one of those, I can tell you one thing, it'll get a heck of a lot of mileage because we only have one of them. All right? All right. Let's, uh, let's get ready to rumble. Vatamot. <clears throat> <laughs> Funny thing is, everyone watching this video is not going to see the part from before. They're not going to know why I did that. Okay. The Talmud Sarah Bikiryat Arba. And Sarah passed away Kiryat Arba. Now, can we just, uh, for one second, uh, pay attention to the context in which this Pasuk is being said? Avraham Avinu has one test after the next, after the next. Lech Lecha, this, that, the fire, the furnace of fire. He travels all the way to this promised land and then there's a famine. His wife gets taken away not once, but so nice, Hashem, let it happen twice. Okay? Everything culminates in the story of Akedah. Finally, at the end of the Akedah, what happens, my friends? Abraham comes back home and Sarah's dead. What killed her? Chamim explained. She got wind of the Akedah, and before they could tell her that it didn't go through, it didn't happen, she, the news was so terrible, was so uh, heartbreaking for her, she passed away. That's why the Chachamim say, we put the, the death of Sarah right next to the Akedah to teach you that it came from the hearing about what happened. Now, I just for one second, I want to like, just get a grip on the magnitude of this. Avraham Avinu goes off to do this unbelievable nisei on the hardest test of his life. Comes back, as we said on Shabbat, why is the knife called ma'achelet, strange language? It should say sakin in Hebrew. It's called ma'achelet, our rabbis teach us, because that knife is ma'achil. We're still eating. Ma'achelet means something that feeds. We're still eating from the zechut of that knife. To this day, we're quoting, we're saying that story, and we're getting sakhar for it. So he comes home from that, and this is what he finds. You know, it's, 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 it blows your mind. So there are two lessons, number one, that I want to talk about. Number one, the first lesson is, um, I saw written from the Kitab Sofer something unreal. The Yetzirah had no way in the world to be able to uh, trip up Avraham. He could not get Avraham to fall on any Nisayon, on any test. So what did he try to do? He tried to create a test that most people don't see. And most people, because they don't see it as a test, they don't pass the test. He gave him the test of regret. Says Iktav Sofer, that he could ask him all these things and he did them. But now he gets home and he hears, oh, what happened? Oh, she passed away. Why'd she pass away? Yetzirah told her about the Akedah. 
What's the Yitzhara trying to do? Avraham to think to himself for one second, oh, I can't believe it. If I would have known, I wouldn't have done it. I can't believe this is, this is the outcome. I wish. The Kitab Sofer writes that when a person regrets doing a mitzvah, the whole mitzvah that he did with all of its effort, it gets taken away from him. Because the regret is an intellectual decision. And what does your decision say? I wish I didn't do this. That means that the decision to do it now, you yourself are disagreeing. You're disowning. The only reason why you're not changing it is because you don't have a time machine. But if you had a time, you'd undo it. In HaKadosh Baruch Hu's world, there is no time. So the regret for a mitzvah takes away the mitzvah. And the thing that's most painful about that is that the regret actually doesn't change anything. You don't get the thing that you lost back. All that you get is someone emptying your bank account. My friends, how often does this happen? You go upstairs, you give tzedakah, right, in the Beit Knesset. Then you go afterwards to lunch, you get a bagel, you order your lunch, you have money for the salad, but you didn't have enough cash now for the soda because you gave $2 to the guy. You're like, oh. For the price of a soda, Rabotai, you gave away infinite reward of tzedakah. Reward that would have stayed with you for all of eternity. The reward we get in Olam Abba, my friends, they give you the package, the Olam Abba reward. You look at it, it says expiration date, never! <laughs> Best if used before, never! <laughs> no problem ever, it's infinite. You gave it away for a can of soda because you said, ah. You had a good year in business, you gave away the tzedakah, right? You th think to yourself, year two, you're like, oh, if I would have known this year was going to be a little more difficult, I wouldn't have given it. You had to give it anyway. Your obligation was to give it. Does it matter that it's tighter now? No. So number one, the lesson, the message, is the dangerous challenge of regret. And to pass it, what do you have to do? All you have to say is, yes, it's hard. Yes, now I'm being faced with a post-action uh, you know, recalibrative thought. My brain is trying to get me to think differently about what I did, but I'm not changing my mind. Yes, it's hard now, but I'm still happy what I still happy I gave what I gave. You know, a friend, a dear friend of mine, whose father lost all, a lot of his money. The, this young man said to me, Rabbi, it's very hard for me. I saw my father give so much tzedakah. How is this happening? How could this be happening? And I said to him, listen, you know, the Yetzirah threw so many nisyonot at your dad. And all of them he passed with flying colors. He gave in a most magnificent way. Yetzirah only has one more arrow in his quiver. is to take it all away and maybe he'll get him to regret giving it. I said, but you see, the stature, the nature of how special your father is that the Yetzer Hara needs to resort to such tactics. I mean, if you want to see this, look at what the Yetzer Hara tries with Avraham, all the way to the Akedah. And then what happens? He sees he's never getting this guy. So what does he do? This is his last move. It also means that in any area, if you see this trick of the Yetzer Hara, you know 
that this is the last hurdle you have to climb. Because there's nothing else. There's no other tricks in his bag after this one. The trick of regret. My friends, <clears throat> like I said, this is true in every scenario, in every mitzvah, that when a person comes to the difficulties that they have, their mind tries to get them to think, oh, I wish I would have, I wish I would have. But we can't fall prey to that. In truth, Sarah Imenu did not die because of the Akedah. She did not die because of the Akedah. How do we know? We have a rule that says, They do not get damaged. How could it be that a, 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 the Akedah brought in its wake Sarah's death? Impossible. If we, t- think about this, if we today, 3,500 years later, whatever it is, you know, from 1948 was the year of, uh, of the Akedah, okay? 1948 is in, in, in Hebrew years. We are now, what? To know. He was born in 1948. Who was born? Avram was born in 1948. So, excuse me, 2048, yeah? Which, again, it's always good to know because 2448 is exactly the year of the giving of the Torah. So that's 400 years from then, right? From, right? Well, no, that, make, that doesn't make sense because it's, then that would be 500 years from 1948. And it should be, four, it should be 400 years um, from the birth of Yitzhak. Oh, 2048, perfect, exactly, yes. All right, where well, the math is uh, slow. Uh, I regret not listening more in math class. Okay, fine. Sorry, Ketav Sofer. Now, there's something amazing here, right? Um, in, this, in this story of Avraham Avinu from 2048, well, again, you have to add to that uh, the time of the Akedah, which is another 37 years, right? So let's say the year 2060, sorry? I'm going to go with this guy. 2085, okay? So at that stage, when you're doing the Akedah, we're looking at the Akedah till today, where are we now? 5782. Right? How many years is that? 3695. And if you use your Chase MasterCard, you can get it for 62% off at no. Right? How much is that? 3,600 years. We're still using that on Rosh Hashanah Kippur to ask Hashem for life. And obviously that works because. We're still doing it, right? Could it be that on the day of the Akedah, Sarah died from it? The rabbis explain that Sarah Imenu, that's when she was supposed to pass away. That's when Sarah Imenu was supposed to pass away. But the Yetzirah was allowed to have the method of her passing happen through the relation of the story of the Akedah in order to create a test for Abraham. So the date of her, je- of her death doesn't move. So sometimes people are wondering, wow, how can it be this person passed away? They were in the middle of doing a mitzvah. There's no greater zechut. It means that the mitzvah is not what killed the person. That was the day they were supposed to die. How wonderful it is that a person should die from, you know, during the process of doing a mitzvah as opposed to doing some sort of other process, okay? So he does, the Yesara arranges that the day that she dies, because this, I think there's something even deeper here. What does it mean that the day that Sarai, Menu dies, is the day of the Akedah? She doesn't die from the Akedah. 
But that date was always enshrined in history. A very special day, the day of the Akedah. What day does the Akedah happen, we know? It's why we read it on that day. Hoshana. So the day of the creation of the world mirrors the day uh, of the creation of the continuity of the Jewish people. On that day, by the way, Yitzchak shifted from being a person who was unable to have children into a person that was able to have children. Did you know that? Unbelievable. Creation. The creation of Am Yisrael mirrors the creation of the world. I think on a very deep level. That's why we have two opinions. What day, when is Rosh Hashanah? Okay? You have these two opinions of, uh, in the Gemara, Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yoshua, Rosh Chodesh Nisan or Rosh Chodesh Tishrei. One is the creation of the world, but one of them is in essence the month, the creation of Geulah. The Jewish people being redeemed, taken from being slaves into free men, becoming the people who would ultimately shape and change the nature of the entire world. That's Rosh Hashanah. That's the changing of the entire world. But my friends, it goes deeper than that even. What was Sarah Imenu's job in this world? Was to give birth to the nation. The day the Akedah happens is the day Sarah completes her mission here on earth, which is why she passes away as soon as the news of the Akedah is brought to her. Before they even get back, Sarah Imenu has passed away. Fascinating to see things in that light. That when a Sadiq passes, it's because when a good, real good person, a righteous person passes, it's because they've fulfilled, they've completed their mission upon this earth, okay? So that's the first part. The first part of today's, so to speak, class in Vatamot Sarah, right, is what, how, what, what was the message, what was the, what was the test? But there's really a second part to this question. There was once a man who came to the Baal Shem Tov, and he asked the Baal Shem Tov, after reading the stories of Abraham Avinu, he says, I don't understand. What in the world? How can a person survive all of these nisyonot? How are we supposed to deal with these, you know, challenging, difficult tests that come our way? I'm looking at Abraham Avinu. I can't imagine how he passed it. How are we supposed to pass tests like that? The Baal Shem Tov remains quiet. After he leaves, Bashito's uh, grandson, Rav Baruch, Mimezhubuz, um, comes to him and he says, like Zaidi, Grandpa, why didn't you answer him? The Baal Shem Tov said, Ma mevin goi ba Yehudi. What could someone who's not Jewish understand about the Jewish mission, about the Jewish soul, about Jewish education? You want to try and explain to him the concept of what it means to be there, to, to, to put in everything for your religion, even though there are nations that have learned to die for their religion. None of them have learned to live for their religion in the way that Judaism mandates. He says, I wish I could explain it to him, but he doesn't have the background. He doesn't have the context. How could a goy understand the nature of what it means to live as a Jew, to pass these tests? To remain faithful, to carry on doing the mission that you've been taught from the time you were a child is the most important thing of your life. Rav Baruch went away and he thought about this line from uh, the Baal Shem Tov. And as, 
as he thought, he thought, he thought, he said, you know, I really want to add to what my grandfather said to me. What does a Jew know about another Jew? You see a person walking down the street, you say, oh, that person, not so religious. This guy, I'm better than him. This person, lost case. You know what's going on in his life? You know the nature, the power of his connection with God? Maybe he's more connected to Hashem than you are. You have your Gemara, but you have your Gava. You have your Mishnah, but you have your... Yeah? You have your Tava. You have your desires. You have your learning. You have other issues. How do you know on balance that you're a better person than him? You know all that. So Rav Baruch would teach his father's line the understanding of how much potential there is in a Jew. And then he would teach, What can a Jew know about another Jew? And then Rav Baruch thought and thought and thought and thought about it until eventually he decided to add not only to his grandfather's line and not only to his own line, not only to the line that he said before, he said as follows, What does a Jew know? about himself. A person thinks they're operating at max capacity. Ridiculous. You know, on some level you hear people talking about, Rabbi, I'm overwhelmed. I don't doubt that they're overwhelmed. They are overwhelmed. But they're not truly overwhelmed. And I'm not saying this because I know, because as we just said, what does a Jew know about another Jew? But I'm just saying that we've seen throughout time, throughout history, how Jewish people went through the worst cases, the worst suffering, the worst pain, and they survived. You know, you think today about a person who has a tough life. Try and superimpose the life of a 16-year-old boy who, you know, his family slaughtered in the Holocaust, who then runs to the forest and joins, you know, the partisans to fight the Nazis, who then moves to Israel, who then fights in 1948 for the redemption of the... Go, go compare those two. A guy tells you, Rabbi, it's too hard, I can't sit here. Go compare that to the life of some kid who finds out that he's Jewish at the age of 18 and then goes to the yeshiva and doesn't have a single Jewish friend and has to learn from fresh from new, doesn't know a single blessing, doesn't know a single mitzvah, needs to learn Judaism from zero. You, you have a heavy learning workload because you go to class once a week. Do you understand? Now the point of that is, my friends, that we don't actually know what we're capable of until we're shoved up against the wall and then all of a sudden something comes out. Now I never forget, I was in South Africa and uh, we went to this place uh, called the Lion Park, I think. And in, the, in this park, they have actual lions running around in, the, in these uh, enclosures. They don't call them cages because that's not politically correct. They call them enclosures. That seems much more humane, right? And then they took out these lion cubs. So I thought, okay, lion cubs, so cute. Simba, it's going to be like that. I'm going to paint him. I'm going to say Mufasa's voice. Amazing. It wasn't Simba. The, the lion cubs are this big, okay? They, they're like small, well, medium-sized dogs, okay? You hold them on your lap. So this kid had the lion on his lap. 
So I'm playing with the lion. I take off my hat like this. I'm waving it in front of it. End of the day, a lion's a cat. So what does he do? He's trying to grab, like, you know, trying to swat the hat. But what did the lion do when he swat the hat? <sighs> the claws come out. So you see this paw, and all of a sudden, these retractable claws come out. And he tries to swipe at the hat with his claws. Meanwhile, what I was not aware of <laughs> is that when the lion's paws, claws retract in his paws, in his forepaws, they also come out in his rear paws. This guy has the lion sitting on his lap. All of a sudden, he starts screaming because the claws of the lion just retract into his leg, into his thighs. And the guy afterwards, he had his shorts on. You saw this giant gash, three gashes along his leg made by... I said to him, look, you know, there are worse injuries to be able to come back home with. Oh, what are those, what are those uh, marks on your leg? Oh, nothing. I uh, got to a fight with a lion in Africa. <laughs> you don't mention the lion's age, right? By the way, you know, but you, you have a story for the ages, okay? Yeah, so what happens in those moments? This cub, this little lion cub, in some, on some level, all of a sudden turns from a photo op, from something really cute, into something menacing, something that's powerful, something that can do damage. What does a Jew know about Yehudi Atzmo? You know, I can't learn, I can't pray, I can't, and then you start coming to shul, sometimes for a problem, sometimes for Kaddish, whatever. But then they get into the swing of things, and then they become a shul guy. And then they become a learning guy. And they start, we started our Gemara class this week. They started, two guys already know, you know, they already started to learn. They now know what a Gemara looks like. They could repeat the whole Gemara from the beginning until they're asking me questions on the Gemara that my Chavrutot and Yeshiva would ask on a Gemara who had 20 years of learning under their belt. Ma mevin Yehudi, be Yehudi What does a Jew know about himself? You know, um, and I'll end with this. Um, there's a... There's a Mishnah in Avot. The Mishnah says, Heve kal kanesher. A person, we know maybe the other ones, right? A person should get up in the morning, yitkaber ka'ari, right? A person should be gibor ka'ari, mighty like a lion, az kanemer, you know, have the azut of a, of a leopard, Right? Ratz katsevi, run like a deer. And then there's one, I put it out of order just so we can focus on it. Kal kanesha. You should be light like a eagle. Estimate farshim, that's ridiculous. An eagle is not the lightest. <laughs> right? You could say light like a dandelion. Not even like a dandelion, like the individual pieces of the dandelion that you blow. Right, what light like a light like a tapeworm? <laughs> right, you can't even you barely see it. But what's funny is that the nature of the nesher is that although it's heavier than a chick, than a chicken, than another bird, than a pigeon, okay, although it's heavier than a seagull, although it's heavier than a raven. Though it's heavier than a cardinal and the names of other birds that are NFL teams. <laughs> you know when your, uh, uh, your ornithologist credentials come from NFL games, 
that you have a limited understanding of the avian type. Okay. So, <clears throat> it's not the lightest of the birds. Why does the Mishnah say kal kanesher? Because the nesher flies the highest. The nesher flies the highest. If God gave the nesher that extra weight, He also gave the nesher the wings to be able to carry that weight. So the Mishnah is asking a person not to be weighted down by things. So what are you going to tell a guy who's weighted down by things? You have nothing on you? You don't have any problems? You don't have any issues at business, at work, at home, with the kids, with the wife? You don't have any problems? There's no issues? You don't tell him that. You tell him that the nesher is kal. The nesher is light. You know why he's light? Because although he has a bigger weight than other birds, he's also given a set of wings that could lift not only the weight to the height of the other birds, but to soar above any other birds, to fly the highest. In fact, there are opinions that nesher in the Mishnah does not mean an eagle. And nesher in the Torah does not mean an eagle. It's the highest flying bird in the world, which is some form of vulture, by the way, not an eagle. My friends, according to this, I mean, I think we have maybe a little bit of another understanding here. I saw a beautiful, uh, it's the Perion uh, Shalomo, he writes that we say Hanoten Sheleg, we say it every day. Hanoten Sheleg, Ka, Kasamer. So he translated it in such a beautiful way. He said, Hashem gives snow, Katsamer, according to the size of the wool coat you have. <laughs> how much wool do you have? That's how much snow I'm going to send. How big are your wings? That's how much weight I'm going to give you to carry. Because ultimately, those challenges, they're what create, they what allow, they incubate a larger person that's growing inside of you. What does a Jew know about himself? Until you're given the chance to be able to rise above the challenges that you were given. So Avraham Avinu has challenge after challenge after challenge. But Avraham Avinu becomes Avraham Avinu because he has challenge after challenge after challenge. He looks at Sarah Imenu who's passing and he says, I understand that you want me to think that this is why she passed. But it's just not true. I don't buy that. And he rises above. But you don't find that Avraham gets angry. And God, and Avraham turned to God and said, How dare you? There's no such pasuk. Avraham turned to God and said, Really? Until now? Until this is where you, you know, you don't find Avraham saying these, these things. He's upset. He cries. He's real. He's genuine. He's authentic with how he's feeling. But it doesn't get beyond that. Because Abraham is given an unbelievable pair of wings to deal with the unbelievable weight of Nisayon that he was given as well. It is our emunah ultimately and our connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And uh, once we have that connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, our belief and our connection with our internal powers, with what we were blessed with. When we recognize the wings, we don't recognize the weight. But when we don't recognize the wings, we only can focus on, on the weight. May Hashem bless us uh, to feel, always in every light, even, every situation, even in the heaviest of them, may we feel 
the uh, the lightness, the light nature of Nesha. Baruch Adonai Amen.